All right. So uh, if you want to go ahead and start, go to that first slide there. Uh, by the picture, it's going to pop up. What we're looking at is structures. So obviously in this picture here, we're seeing a cracked structure. It's something that's over time has been wore down, and it's proved that its solidness is not something that could withstand everything that went on with it. Now, I want to start out by making a point that some people, and I, even more than some, I would say a lot of people like to treat God the way that they treat vacation. And I say that meaning that we like to pre-plan and say, well, God can show up at this point in time because this is when it was convenient for me. And we like to, we only want God to be there when we've arranged it and when we've set the place, when we've set the time, when, when we've set that whole thing up. That's when we want God to be there. And so we like to treat God like that. But, you know, why did we go on vacation? We go on vacation to get away, right? We go on vacation to relax, to unwind, to get away from everything that was kind of stressing us out from our uh, normal day-to-day life. So we find a relaxing place. But eventually, every vacation, at some point you pack up, you got to go back home. You got to go back to what you were doing. You got to go back to the stressful situation. You got to go back to a lot of times when we finish a vacation, we say, okay, well, we got to go back to real life now. So in the same sense, I want to think, what if home was my vacation spot? What if that place that I go to unwind actually is home? And that's what we have to get to with our relationship with God because we don't want to treat God like the vacation. We want Him to be our home. We want Him to be, when we get in a stressful situation, we want to go to God then. We want to talk to God then and unwind then. So, you know, the thing is, we can't stay in the same place for too long because eventually it's going to start wearing us out, just like that picture there. Eventually, you're going to get wore out. Eventually, you're going to start breaking down. Now, the reason that this came to my mind is actually I was at a house uh, doing a, a pest control service, and I was walking down the little like, back deck. I was walking down some steps, and they were painted gray. But there in the middle where the most uh, steps had been taken, that paint had started to chip away. So after a prolonged amount of time of, uh, of uh, withstanding some, some pounding, withstanding some foot traffic, the entire paint just chipped off. It changed its, uh, its environment. It changed the way that it looked entirely. Now, the paint was there, technically, but it, it had been transformed. It had been beaten down. Now, the beauty in that is that eventually we're going to grow out of our vacation spot. So, yes, we may be comfortable and we may like that may be our place to relax and unwind and everything, right? But eventually we're going to grow to a point where it, we need a little bit more. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. We're going we're gonna to unwind in God, but we're going to learn more about Him the more that we grow closer to Him. And then eventually we are almost required to do more. I think that's what's important is that we realize that God requires us to do more. That it's not that we just wake up and, you know, because, you know, when you're a, a fresh Christian, you know, you wake up and you can do some of the minimum, but he's going to start challenging you to do more and more. I never thought he would be, I would be preaching, but God had instilled these things and he brought me to where I'm at now. And, I, you know, at first I'm like, okay, well, I'm a preacher, now youth pastor. It's like we're, we're constantly growing. We have to constantly listen to what God's trying to get us to do. So eventually, yes, I'm going to grow out of that vacation spot, but because it was my spot, I left my mark on it, right? And that's the same thing with those steps. 
Because that was somebody's, they always went to the middle. They could have went to the left side of the steps and the left side would have been chipped off, but it was in the middle because that was their spot. That's where they would always go down. So my vacation spot, eventually, I want to leave my mark on it. And, you know, I think about um, how people talked about God in the Old Testament. When they would talk to somebody and they, they saw that they served God, they said, oh, so you served the God of Abraham and Isaac. See, it wasn't enough that they just said, oh, you serve God. No, they, they pinpointed, they said, oh, you serve the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac, the God of Moses. So why is it that they said that? They said that because Abraham, Isaac, and Moses had made their mark. Because they had found their dwelling, their unwinding, their relaxation in that God. In that one true God. So they left their mark in, in, in God. So even after long, long after they had died. Because I mean, you, you, you go through even, I believe even parts of the New Testament. You can read that where it's like, oh, the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. Jesus even said that. The God of Abraham, the God of Moses. Long after they had died, they were still saying this because they had left their mark. And people knew, okay, well, if, if it's that God, I ain't going to deal with you. I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to uh, challenge you because I know what, what that God's done in the past, right? Now, I think about, too, what, I mean, we can drive even here local. When you pass certain places, we find plaques that are outside, and it will tell you something about that place, right? So when we visit somewhere historic where something happened, where somebody was, somebody was born, somebody died, something big happened in that place, there's usually a plaque there to commemorate it, right? Because somebody, see, it was just a place before, but because somebody made an impact there, because something happened there, there was a mark left enough to where they put a plaque in. And... You know, a lot of those plaques, they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't exist if it had only been up to one individual. Not to say it's impossible, because there are those plaques, but for a lot of it, if it was up to just one person, a lot of those plaques wouldn't be there, because it's harder to make bold moves if we stand alone. Like I said, it's not impossible, but it's hard. It's a lot harder to do it alone. So, you know, we're encouraged quicker to do something when we have more people behind us. And it's like if I'm sitting at an intersection and I have three or four cars on it behind me, I'm a little bit more encouraged to get out on the road a little bit faster, right? Because I have more people behind me. And it's like they're relying on when, I'm, when, when is he going to move? When is he going to do what, what, what he has to do so I can get there? So we're encouraged when we have more people behind us, when there's more um, connection, there's more people in that environment. And, uh, you know, th- that exact thing is why church is important. Because there's a lot of people who say, well, I don't have to go to church. I can go, I, I can go out and be on the boat fishing, do, doing all this other stuff, and I, I don't have to be in church. I mean, we hear it a lot. I mean, I've heard it from a lot of people. But th- this is why church is important, because we need that body of people coming together that will encourage us. Because if it's up to me, I'm not going to take steps a lot of times. But when I've got other people, whether it be people in the church, whether it be Emily, whether it be my brother even, there are people that will push me and encourage me to take steps that I wouldn't have taken if it were up to me because I would chicken out of them. So it's important that we have those people around us. Now, it's hard to stay positive in a negative world if you look at it with only your eyes. So when you see, it, when you see your life through somebody else's perspective, that's when things can really start to change for you because... Like I said, if we're only looking at it in the way that we see it, we're going to limit ourselves every time. But if somebody else says, okay, well, you, you just got a little bit further to go. 
Or somebody comes to you and says, and, and they tell you the impact and the encouragement that you're giving to them. It helps you. It helps you to know that what you're doing is not in vain, but it's actually helping somebody. Now, like I said, it's not impossible to serve God on the boat because, I mean, the disciples done that. And we read about that. We read about the disciples serving God on the boat. But before Jesus showed up, they were just out there fishing. They weren't fishing with purpose. They were just out there fishing. So Jesus came and he gave those people, those fishers, purpose. And the purpose that they gave was that they would be fishers of men, meaning that they were going to go and present Jesus in a way that would cause those fish to bite, not to swim away. And see, that's what we find in a lot of the churches today is that there's not enough people that are presenting Jesus in a way that people want to be part of our church, that people want to come be part of our family. A lot of times we present it in a way that makes those fish swim away. Because we like to get legalistic and we like to push opinion. We like to do all these other things. And you know, how is it that we can change that? And I, I look at Deuteronomy 32, 35. And that should be the first one popped up here. So Deuteronomy 32, 35 says, Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. Now the reason I bring this up is because if we... Don't remember that vengeance is not mine, but it's God's. See, that's where people can start to, to present Jesus in a different way because we like to get in that mindset of saying, oh, well, you're wrong and I have to show that to you. Sometimes, yeah, we may be called to do that, but vengeance is God's. So when somebody makes us mad, when somebody does something that, that we see as, oh, well, that's against God, God is going to deal with that. And it says that their foot shall slip in due time. God is going to establish what he needs to establish with those people. Our job is not to take vengeance. And that's a shock to a lot of people. They're like, wait, wait, it's not my job to condemn? No, it's not your job to condemn. Now look at Proverbs 3.3. 3. Uh, in Proverbs 3.3, 3, um, it says... Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Now notice it says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. These, things, two, these two things are together. So yeah, look, we do want to uphold God's standards. And that's why it says, do not let truth forsake us. But we also can't let mercy forsake us. Because God was merciful unto us. When we were not living in truth, God gave us mercy. But when he gave us mercy, he taught us truth. And see, we have to try to live in the same way. This is why these two words are together. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. If they're on your heart, then you're always going to remember them. Because it's not enough that you just wear them, but they're written on your heart. So we have to keep those two things together. And we have to remember that when we're going, and especially when we're going to people who are lost. And really, even when we're going to people who are Christians, because that's what the lost people see. And they say, okay, well, if you can't get along with each other, why am I going to jump in on that? So, let not mercy and truth forsake you. So, the church, you know, as we read in the Bible, it says that the church is not for the righteous. Who does it say that the church is for? The sinners. The sinners. Okay? So, that is another thing that we have to look at. Who are we to tell somebody that they can't be in church because of their past or even their present? See, the church is not for those who think that they're holier than everybody else. That's why Jesus came in flipping tables because people get in that mindset and they think, oh, well, you're not good enough to come in yet. So it says that the church isn't for the righteous, but it's for the sinners. So the standard that we try to hold is, well, they're so bad off that we need to avoid those people. 
And a lot of Christians fall into that lie of, okay, well, I just shouldn't be with him. And I actually, um, I, I had a preacher one time, and I'm not going to name names, but I had a preacher one time tell me, you can't go to that church because they don't believe the same way we believe. And I thought, what? And they said, you can't fellowship with anybody there. Because if you go to that church, then they're teaching things differently than what we... And that got me. And I, I've always looked at that as being one of those moments of me learning and adapting because I had to realize that there was something flawed in that philosophy of you can't go to that church because they believe it. Just, and, and that's so flawed because not everybody agreed with Jesus. You even see the disciples were disagree with Jesus on some things and they would ask him questions because he didn't understand it. But he didn't kick him out. He didn't quit fellowshipping with him. He tried to teach him truth. But he'd done it with grace. Now, thankfully, Jesus didn't think the same way that a lot of us do. And I look at John 3.16. In John 3.16, we know the scripture. I've got it up here. But it says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, it does not say, For God so loved the Christians. For God so loved the righteous. For God so loved the church. That was, For God so loved the world. And this does include those who are still living in sin. He still loved them enough to die for them. And we, each and every one of us, whether we're still there, whether we were there at some point, we have all been in that boat where we were of the world, where we were of the sinners. And Christ did not look at that and say, well, I'm not going to die for him or I'm not going to die for her. He loved us so much that he died for each and every one of us to, so that whoever, not just a select few, but whoever would believe in him, whoever would trust in him, whoever would give their life to him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we hear it all the time where people say, well, oh, well, you got to love the sinner and hate the sin, right? But do you still sin? Because I still sin. So I haven't perfected the hate of my own sin yet. Because it's not love the sinner or hate the sin. Because I'm still a sinner. So if I haven't perfected the hate of my sin, who am I to go to somebody else and tell them about their sin? I have to perfect the hate of my own sin before I can ever look at anybody else. So I look at John 8.10. In John 8.10, this is where Jesus goes to uh, the woman who had been taken out by the people of the city because she was found to be an adulterous woman. And they brought her out and they said, we're ready to stone this woman. John 8.10, it says Jesus raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, who are these accusers of yours? Or where are those accusers of yours? And has no one condemned you? Because what just happened here is Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And notice it says that Jesus looked up and he saw no one but the woman. Because nobody else in that sense and nobody else in that moment had perfected the hate of their own sin. But they're out here trying to point hers out. And he said, to, he said to the woman, where are those accusers of yours? Where's all those people that were saying that you need to be stoned? Where's all those people that said you need to die today? It says, has no one condemned you? You go to verse 11 right there, the, next, the very next verse preceding this, and he says to her, he said, or she says, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, here's something that I thought was really powerful in this because what, what he said to her before is he said, or what he said to the crowd, he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. The only person there without sin was Jesus. He was the only one who had authority to cast a stone, yet he did not do it. Yet we, without the authority, like to cast them. So the one who had any right to even think about it said, I don't condemn you. 
But he did instruct her to go and sin no more. So he gave her a new task. It wasn't enough that he just said, oh, you're free. Because a lot of people would just run off and go back to what they were doing. But he said, go and sin no more. I've freed you from this. But now you have to live under the authority that I've given to you. I've given you life. So now you have to go and sin no more. Now, you know what? Like I said, there's these people that had their own issues. But what Jesus done is he taught them to look in the mirror. He taught them to look at themselves and to see their own fault coming out of them. And I know here a few weeks ago we talked about the scripture that says, why are you worrying about a plank sticking out of their, or a splinter in their eye if you've got a plank sticking out of yours? There's a lot of hypocrisy that happens when we get prideful and we get too full of ourselves. And see, the thing is, we like to start coming up with these little questions and these little scenarios. We're like, what, what, what if they steal? Okay, well that's between them and God. You have nothing to do about that. That's between them and God. If they still, that's something that God's going to deal with. Because you don't see people going in hospitals and then the hospital saying, well, we can't take her because she's bleeding and she's going to bleed on her hospital beds. You don't see that happen because the hospital is there for the sick. Just like the church is to be the hospital for the sick. We are the church for the sinners. So we're not to turn away people the same way the hospital should not turn away people. You don't see them, uh, you know, somebody says, well, you know, that person's broken, so we can't invite them in the church. Well, we need to x-ray their life and figure out what's broken and help them to, to heal from it. Because we have to put them under an x-ray. We have to let them see where they've messed up and where God can come in. Not where you can come in. Not where the church even can come in, but where God can come in. See, our job is just to lead them. Our job is just to lead them in that, in, that, in that way of finding God so God can do it. But the best one is, well, what if they don't have insurance? Or in other words, what if they have nothing to offer to me? What does it help if I, if I help them? What, what, how does that affect me at all? Because a lot of people get there. A lot of these, especially bigger churches, they're like, well, you know, they don't have a lot of money to give to the church. So, you know, should I really spend that much time worrying about it? It's not about what they can give to us. Because if we really think about it, if God were to answer each and every prayer that you ever prayed, would anybody else be blessed or would it only be you? Because if we're not praying prayers for other people, if we're only worried about our selfish ambitions, then we're not really living by the example He tells us to live by. Because, and sometimes, too, I don't want you to think that you can't pray for yourself. Because it's important to pray for yourself, but we have to remember to pray for others. We have to remember to show Christ's love to other people. You know, and just like going back to this, uh, the analogy with the hospital. You know, any good doctor is going to do whatever it takes to help somebody who is sick or hurting. And in the same sense, any good Christian is going to do whatever it takes to get somebody who is lost into the knowledge of who Jesus is. We're going to want to get them in the church. We're going to want to show love to them. We're going to want them to know that they have a God who loves them, somebody that created them and who loves them. Now, I was actually at a customer's house, and I was going around spraying this house. And as I'm upstairs, I see a plaque that he's got. And I've never seen this before. I've been in houses and seen all kinds of cool things. I've seen handwritten letters from presidents, things like that. But this is the first time I've ever seen a Guinness World Record Hanging in somebody's house. This was a Guinness World Record holder. Now, that was really interesting to me. So, of course, I'm going to ask him, you know, what's up with this? Get the backstory on it, right? So, so, what he won is he set the record for how many miles were driven on a dirt bike in 24 hours. Just straight. How many miles? And I can't remember exactly what the mileage of it was, but 
he not only did he break the record, but he set the record because nobody before him had done this before. And that was something that I found really interesting when he told me that. And I had learned something about it because he said that it costs $10,000 just to have somebody from Guinness to be there to, to have proof that you've done it. $10,000. So in other words, it was an investment for him to do this. This was something that he said he trained for, I believe, 10 months to be able to, to set this record. He, he made a large investment in order to get somebody there to verify that he had done it. Now, what I found really interesting is he said that several years later, he had a man from Europe contact him, kind of pay his respects and say, hey, you know, I, I look up to you, but I'm one to beat your record. Now, he offered to pay him to train him. And now this was something that kind of caught me off guard because he said he was offering to pay him quite a bit of money, but he said, no, I'll just train you. That way you can have that because that's not something that everybody can say that they have as a Guinness World Record. So he trained him, and this guy ends up beating this record by about, I think he said 40 miles. He went 40 miles further than this guy did that I was talking to. Now, the reason I say that is because, you know, yet he denied the money, he still helped. Even though he had invested so much, he was still willing to invest so much more in somebody else that could grow past him. So he was willing to say, okay, you know, this is the end of my reign. Let me train you up so you can go after me and then you can set something else and you get somebody else to try for. And that was really cool to me because as Christians, especially those of us who are in leadership, I think a lot of times we will have a hard time doing the same type of thing where it's like, okay, well, I've been in church and I get it. And like we, we get like this big revelation out of the Bible and then somebody asks us a question and we're like, oh, well, I figured that out. I'll, I'll let you figure it out yourself. And we like to get kind of prideful even about that. But it, it's because you invested the time and prayer and you invested. Because it was an investment to you, you don't like to just give it out freely. But, you know, just like Jesus, he, put, he invested a lot of pain, a lot of suffering for us just to give us a free gift. The same way this guy done. So, you know, the thing is, like I said, we don't like sharing our knowledge or our experience or our effort to help someone who's trying to be like us. Because that's how we like to look at it. Somebody's trying to copy us, be like us. But at the end of the day, we're trying to reflect the image of Christ. So thankfully, he's not like that. Thankfully, he doesn't act like that. And I think about Romans 12, 3. Because, see, we're nothing more than a personal example. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For I say to the grace given to me... To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So he said, like, I mean, this is straight Bible. He's saying, don't think more highly of yourself than you actually are. Don't get too prideful about who you think you are, because we've all been given a measure of faith that God has dealt to us. That was what God gave us. It wasn't what you worked for. That's what God has already established for you. So when we get all puffed up, we're the ones in the wrong, even though we want to act like it's the other person because, oh, well, they're trying to copy me. And then I go to Mark 9, 38 through 41. And this is an example that the disciples actually give to us because here in this story, it says that John answered him saying, he's talking to Jesus. He says, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow us. 
But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. There should be one more verse. It says, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So see, the disciples went and they saw a man, just because he didn't follow the same path that they followed, just because he didn't do it the same way that they would have done it, they went and they told him to stop. And when they told Jesus, he's like, what are y'all doing? Why are you telling somebody to stop if they're doing something in my name? And see, that's where we have to remember is that we like to go to other people. And it's like, oh, well, you're not living the same Christian lifestyle that I like to live, so you need to stop what you're doing. Hey, I'll get to you in a minute. So we like to tell people that, and we like to get prideful, and we like to get puffed up and think, I, I, I'm smarter than you are, or I've, I've reached more knowledge in Christ than you have. And we like, we like to do that a lot, whether we realize it or not. Now, I think about, you know, you just go out into the world. Just go out and look at the world that we live in because the hungry that are out in the world will not turn down a free meal. They don't care what kind of meal it is. They're not going to turn it down because they're hungry. The cold are not going to turn down a blanket, whether it's thin or thick. They're going to, they're going to accept it because it's going to give them some warmth. The sleepy will not turn down a good night's rest. So why did God's people turn down God's people? Because whether they're in the thick of it or the thin of it, they're still God's people. So when we're fighting amongst each other, it looks nothing but bad upon us and everyone that's outside of, of the, the Christian lifestyle because they're not going to want to join in that. So Jesus told us not to do that. He told us not to turn down his own people. So he didn't say that we can't have disagreements with people because we're going to have that. There, even in here, there's not a single one of us that all agree on everything wholeheartedly. There's some people that like Chick-fil-A chicken. There's some people who hate it. There's some... <laughs> and we have different tastes in things. Some people like coffee. Some people don't. And you know, Nobody's going to agree all the way. And it would be a very boring world if we all agreed with everything all the time. Because, I mean, we would just feel like we're in a robotic world of simulation. There would be a lot of things that would not happen if we all agreed on everything all the time. Now... What he did tell us not to do is he said not to forbid like the disciples done here. They went and they told this man to stop what he was doing. Now forbid means to hinder or to prevent. So the, the disciples obviously seen something in this man that they just did not like. They did not agree with it. But where they overstepped is when they prevented him from the, the continuation of doing God's work. That's where they messed up. They could have kept walking because if he was casting out, they saw that he was casting out demons. They made that statement. They said, we've seen a man casting out. You can't do that unless you've got God with you. He was casting out demons and they still wouldn't tell him to stop. So they saw that he was doing something and God was in it and they still told him to stop. That's where they messed up. Now, why is it that we like to stop people? Usually it's because we don't understand their way. But, you know, sometimes some people are just smarter than we are. Some people have been around the block a few times more than we have. So they've understood things a little bit better than we have. They, they've, they've experienced things that we have yet to experience. And I think about it like driving a car because we get out on the road and it's no secret. Older people like to drive a little bit slower. And I get very irritated with older people. And I drive slow. <laughs> but that's the thing. 
Everybody has a different way of driving. You've got some people who drive really slow, but, and then they don't pay attention. You have some people who drive really slow and pay really close attention. You have people who drive fast and reckless. Some people who drive fast, but they can also pay attention. But and some people like to go off cliffs in a youth van. But <laughs> it's not that it's not that we lack an ability to drive because obviously we're moving a vehicle. But you know we're we're all out there driving. But we're able to share the road with those people, even if we get irritated with them, even if we wreck sometimes, we're still sharing the road with them. Why can't we do that in church? Why can't we do that in our community? Why is it that we can we can share all these other bad things? We can go to restaurants and we can share a restaurant with all these other people that we don't know. We don't have an issue with anybody else. But we can't share church. We can't congregate together. We can't fellowship with other people just because of slight differences, because they drive a little bit differently than we do. Why is that such an issue for us? Now, the thing is, um, we have to build lasting relationships. Because we can't understand somebody else unless you know why they are the way that they are. Because everybody has a story. Everybody has something that's happened to them. There, I, there's none of us who were exactly the same in that sense either. We have all had different things happen in our lives. We all have a huge story to tell. We all have a testimony to tell. And they're all different. That's the beautiful thing about listening to testimonies. Because you'll hear how God has worked through people's lives. And it will blow your mind every time. But we're all different. So we can't understand why they're different unless we put ourselves in their shoes and we can hear their story. And... There was one day that Emily called me and she was kind of irritated with one of her uh, customers that came in. I can't remember. I think he was still at the, the previous place. But you said uh, this older lady came in and she was just really rude. But she told me on the phone, she said, I try to be more patient with older people who are rude because it reminds her of her mamma. Because she said her mamma would always come off as rude and she would. I loved her to death. But she would come off as a know-it-all rude person. And it's just how she was. It wasn't that she tried to be rude, but that's how she came off. So she would try to be more patient with those people that would come in. And then just a few more minutes in the conversation, she'd just sit in there thinking about it. She'd like, no, 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 that, that ain't it. She's just rude. <laughs> but she, she was more willing to try to understand that person because she had experienced it in the past. Because she was, more, she was actually willing to try to put herself in that place and say, okay, well, maybe it's not that she's just having a bad day. Maybe that's just how she is, and I'm going to try to be patient with that. And some of us just don't want to understand others. Some of us just want to be loners all the time. We don't want somebody else to be around us. We want to not have friends. We'll complain about not having friends, but then when somebody comes around, we're like, hmm, nope. So, <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, and, and if, if you watched Reasoning, Reasoning Together last night, I actually used this quote. I'm going to use it again because it, when I heard it, it, it really stuck out to me. But I heard a quote that says, if you want to get somewhere fast, go alone. But if you want to go somewhere far, go together. Because you want to get somewhere fast, you ain't got to wait for anybody else. You can just go, do what you got to do, and you're done. But if you're wanting to go far, you're actually wanting to make some success, you're wanting to make some progress, you're going to have to wait for those other people around you. Some people take a long time to get ready. Some people drive slow. Some people... <laughs> You got to deal with things and you got to wait for these other people. But if you want to go farther, you're going to go as a team. And that's again, that's why church is important because if we go together, we're going to go farther. Now, like I said, having bonds is important. And then let's go to Galatians 5 13. So, Galatians 5 13. We're good. Nice. <laughs> 
Very nice. <laughs> Did I put it in there? Do what? Oh, okay. We will get there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Galatians 5.13. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And like I said before, a little technical difficulty. The, what I was getting at with this is that us having bonds with people is important. So we've been called to liberty, liberty being freedom. We've been called to freedom. God's given us that. But we shouldn't use that freedom as an opportunity to indulge in sin. We shouldn't use that freedom to go and do things outside of the will of God. But it says, but through love serve one another. Which is having bonds with other people. Serving one another in love. Serving other people the way that you... If you were going through a hard time, how would you want somebody to show some love to you? And that's what we should go and do to other people. If we see somebody struggling, even if it's as simple as smiling to them, making their day better. Sometimes people are going to be rude to you. But there's a reason that they're being rude to you. Something's happened. Whether it was in that day or not in that day, something's happened. And you might have a chance to turn that around for them. Now in the same sense, there's some people that... They were hurt by somebody else and you can never close the account on that because you didn't do it. Sometimes we try too hard to make people happy when it's just not our place to make them happy. Some people we've got to move on from. But we have to love them and serve them. And even if we, if we don't get as far with them as we would like to, if we don't get to build a friendship with them the way that we would like to, at least we were nice to them we could have an impact on them that we were that loving Christian and we became an example for them to look at uh, in the future. Now I, I think about too... You know, because it says we're pretty much instructed to use our freedom responsibly. And I thought about the line from Spider-Man that says, With great power comes great responsibility. Now, in the same sense, with God's grace comes great sacrifice. But a lot of times we're not willing to give that sacrifice. I want to look at Proverbs 3.6. See what the Bible says in Proverbs 36. It says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Now this is one of those that we can just skim over real fast, and it means nothing to us. But I, I've learned that when we put emphasis on certain words, it, ha- it can have a whole new meaning to it. Because it says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. So in your ways, and where you're standing, in your selfish ways, in your sinful ways, in your wretched ways, the ways is not taking you anywhere. When you get there, acknowledge God, and then He will direct your paths. So there's this separation that I think a lot of us don't make is that we like to get in our ways, in our mindsets, in our timing, our will. But when we get there, if we acknowledge God in it, He's going to give us a new path. He's going to lead us out of our ways and get us somewhere else. So in other, word, in other words, we have our structure. The broken down structure. The structure that's going to not be able to withstand when, when some things uh, come against it. Now, now, at the beginning of the week, what started this whole uh, message was when I was walking down steps that over time had the, the paint had chipped off. Now, I finished the week, or not finished the week, but today, I got to see the opposite of that. Now, Daniel, I was just telling you about this. So today, I got onto a structure that couldn't withstand. It was still made out of wood. 
They were both wooden structures. I had steps and then I had a porch that I stepped onto today. But the porch that I stepped onto today, when I tried to stand on it, it didn't stand and I couldn't stand and I went through it. It broke and I went through the porch. Nice. So, and luckily she did not have a camera because I don't want to rewatch that. But, <laughs> so I went through the porch and I thought about Matthew 7 uh, verses 24 through 27 because... Jesus says that we need to build on a solid rock. He says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and built on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. You're good. It says, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. So what we find is that if, just like those steps that I encountered at the beginning of the week, they were solid, they were built good and it was sustainable. And then what I meant today was not built good. It was not sustainable. And And I want to think about it in this sense. We like to take things that look similar and give them the same characteristics. Because, like I said, they were both wooden foundations. They were both wooden structures. But if I were to take a seed and I were to go outside and I were to dig a hole and I were to put the dirt back over it, I planted a seed, right? But when we die, somebody digs a hole, puts us in, puts dirt over us, and we're buried looks the same. It's the same concept. It looks We give it the same characteristics, but that seed is going to grow into something where that dead body ain't going to do nothing. So sometimes we look at a burial and act like that's a planting, and sometimes we look at a planting and act like that's a burial. Do what? Dog plants aren't Unfortunately, that's not a real thing. I'm about to, I'm about to finish up. But... The whole concept of that is we have to find a solid structure. We have to make sure that what we are following is solid. Where we're planting is solid. That we're not burying, but we're being planted. And that we're not burying others, but we're planting into others. So what structure do we stand on as Christians right now? And the moment that you're in right now, are you in a solid structure? Have you been planted? Or are you somewhere where you shouldn't be and you buried yourself? So that's what we've got. I know I've seen a few hands come up. So let's go ahead and turn over to questions and discussion.